0: Uh, pretty exciting, pretty exciting news for this next season of our local church family. Hard to believe, what was it, a year? And a few months ago, you guys uh, welcomed me. And so uh, what a year it has been. This was not the 2020 that I think any of us imagined, and yet this is the one God has given us. And so excited for this next season. And good call. Thank you. We coordinated our gray on gray and the jeans. Well done. Tyler, it's a great start. <laughs> so... Hey, good morning. My name's David. I love being one of the pastors around here, and uh, glad you guys are joining us from home as well. Uh, thank you for, for uh, joining and jumping in in this unique time. And, um, man, if, if you're new with us uh, or, or coming back to church after a long period of time or because of just the nature of our circumstances that, that maybe your church currently isn't gathering and so you're joining us, we are so thankful. Um, here's my encouragement. We don't, we don't want anything from you right? Instead, we want something for you. Uh, here's our hope at Hillcrest. This is who we hope we are, that, that we hope we're a people helping people find life with Jesus one life at a time, and, and, our, and our desire is that, uh, that help could take a lot of different forms, and, and yet there's the hope. We believe that there is life in Jesus' name, and so in the same way, Uh, We don't want something from our community. We want something for our community this Halloween season. And so we have this Halloween extravaganza we put on every single year called Triple Treat. And Triple Treat's going to look slightly different this year. Um, And so instead, we've shifted gears rather than the, what, 1,500 people that descend on Oregon's high school campus, and we put on a beautiful event. Instead, we're going to try and go to them and, and still encourage families in our community and, uh, and try and help people find life with Jesus by creating 25 different platforms across our community for a fun Halloween scavenger hunt. And in addition to being something for our community collectively, should you want, we're also gonna try and uh, provide some kits, some packets, should you want to just pursue a few of your neighbors around a campfire at, uh, on your driveway as a reflection of our desire to be for our community and, uh, and help people find life with Jesus. And so continuing on, I, I thought this was going to be helpful for us this morning, um, just, just as a reminder of, of why we do what we do, of why even gathering on a Sunday is so important is because we actually believe there is a God. And that God has chosen to reveal himself of all the places he could have done. He chose to reveal himself primarily through a book. And, and you guys have heard me say, I think enough, I hate to read. I think reading is hard. <laughs> reading is exhausting. And yet God in his infinite wisdom decided to write a book. And so we believe we're going to get after that with all we have. And, and so uh, we, we call that process inspiration. And that he actually inspired guys like us to write down his words. And so we started in a book called 1 Peter, and we're getting to hear through 1 Peter as he writes to his readers. We get to now read those same words 2,000 years later and believe that same God is, is writing to us as well. And so uh, what a gift that you guys allow me to be able to share that consistently on a Sunday. But here's our hope, um, that w- we don't just want to, to trust someone else to tell us what these words say. We actually want to increasingly become someone who's hearing from God for themselves. And so you've heard me use this illustration in the past, but uh, for my wife, Gabe, if you told me, and she's not there right now, she was here for service, so you're like, David's pointing to an empty chair. I mean, we all have like our spots on Sunday morning we go to, right? That's our spot right there. Do not, even though we're in plastic chairs right now, that's our spot. And Gabe, if you said, hey, David, you know Casey loves you. Right, I'd say, Gabe, absolutely, I believe you. But to hear from Casey, tell me herself, David, I love you, changes everything. So in the same way, man, what a gift to hear someone else tell us about who God is and that God loves us, but we want to increasingly become the kind of people that are hearing from God for ourselves, that he loves us. He loves us. He loves us. us. And so we're jumping in to 1 Peter and I thought this was fascinating. Two weeks ago, we were in 1 Peter 1, 1 to 2, and someone came up to me afterwards and said, David, I thought that was a typo. I thought for sure we were going to go from 1 to 12. And then you proceeded to talk for 35 minutes about two verses. So, so I guess we were going to do two verses. Anybody want to guess how many verses we're doing today? Two verses. Here we go. And... and I don't know if this is true for you, but do you ever wake up in the middle of the night and you have a great idea that strikes you and then you write it down and then you go to refer back to it thinking you had this incredible idea and it just ends up being gibberish? Well, I had an idea a few nights ago. Oh man, how are we how are we getting into this text? Where is Peter encouraging us? And so uh, at 1 a.m. I wrote down a note and it ended up sticking. So you can tell me if this lands. But, but have you ever tried to light a fire with wet firewood? How, how well does that work? Probably not too well. And, and some of you guys are thinking, yes, exactly, David. That's why we have a light switch that just turns on our gas fireplace. Exactly. Because we don't want to deal with firewood. But... But imagine you 're trying to light this fire with wet, damp firewood, and, and it 's unsuccessful and, and then and then you begin hearing i mean I guess there 's this idea that maybe at one time firewood was supposed to work and and it doesn 't light and so maybe this is just how life 's supposed to be maybe it 's not really supposed to be set ablaze. this is just part of, part of how it 's supposed to work and yeah, maybe you've heard someone at some point talk about a fire that was, that was just out of control and blazing, but, but that's just not, not your experience. I feel like sometimes the same is true when we think about our, our life experience. When we look around and there's pain and there's challenges and circumstances that we would not hope for. And there's no joy in that. Because suffering sometimes robs us of that fire that's supposed to be blazing in our heart. And we've just become apathetic. And we go, well, maybe life was never actually intended to be this joy-filled journey that Jesus describes. Hey, Phil, is this how far I can go? What's the line again? This is it. Don't cross this line. For like seven minutes in first, the first service we did, I was like hanging out over here, completely lost, whoever was streaming. But we just go, man, maybe this life with Jesus isn't supposed to be as joy-filled as as people claim. Peter's actually going to try and challenge that idea today. And and he's going to (laughs) say, he's going to say, it doesn't have to be that way. That somehow we think, well, it's it's wet and damp and, and maybe that's just how it's supposed to be. Peter, in verse six and seven, as he continues his letter, is actually going to challenge that premise. And he's going to share this with us that we understand suffering robs us of joy, right? We understand that. And yet, what he's going to offer us today is it doesn't have to be that way. Instead, in fact, suffering shouldn't steal our joy of those that are following Jesus. Instead, it actually reveals the precious, the preciousness the precious, refining fire to prove the genuineness of our faith. That he's actually going to say, man, I get it, suffering has the potential to rob us of faith, but Peter's going to say it doesn't have to be that way. Instead, it it can truly be this life-giving, rejoicing journey with Jesus. So pray with me as we get into the text this morning. God, you're so good. Thank you for who you are, what you're doing in our life. Reveal yourself as we hear from Peter and and the words he wrote to his readers. Help Help us hear with fresh ears and see with fresh eyes the power of what you're sharing through his words. Thank you, Jesus, for your glory, we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're going to go back to verse 3. I thought Eric did a great job helping us see the power of verse 3 to 5. And then I'm going to read to verse 9. But this week, we're going to settle on 6 and 7 and, uh, and, and try and see what Peter has for us. So here's what he says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And sorry for you guys, right? You guys are like that door is right in your way from seeing, from seeing those words. But you have your Bible out, Eric. You're doing a great job here. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And so we're going to try and pull this text apart in three ideas and it is anchored in that reality. Suffering robs us of joy. There's no doubt. But Peter is going to tell us it doesn't have to be that way. Instead, instead, for those that find their significance in Jesus, suffering shouldn't steal the joy from those of us that find that to be true. Instead, it's the precious refiner that reveals our faith. And so here's where Peter continues he says this, in this you rejoice. In this you rejoice. What's the this referencing? What is he referring to? In this. What's the this? You ever, be in a, you ever in a conversation with someone and then they say, hey, remember that idea that we were talking about? What idea? That idea that I just told you about. So in this you rejoice. Here's what Peter just finished sharing with us. Here's what he said. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. In this you rejoice. What's he telling us? We rejoice in God giving us this living hope, giving us this great mercy, gives us this living hope through the resurrection of the dead, a catalytic event that happened 2,000 years ago. We believed some dude rose from the dead and now 2,000 years later, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, we continue to gather collectively to worship that God. And he's keeping our inheritance in undefiled, unfading, imperishable treasure And who's guarding that for us? How do I wake up tomorrow knowing that's going to be true? Because I'm some smart guy. The preciousness of verse 5 is God is guarding that for us. What's the emotion Peter says we should be filled with when we hear and see that reality? (laughs) Tell me again what emotion. The emotion I'm feeling is what? We're supposed to do what? Rejoice. How, how, is that is give me a little bit more passion with what i'm supposed to feel when i see that reality what am i supposed to do rejoice i mean here, here's the challenge right when when aaron Rodgers chucks that bomb in the fourth quarter i'm rejoicing knowing that he does this well i'm not green bay packer fans are usually i'm moaning in the corner because my vikings are 0 three right now it is depressing but this rejoicing When when you hold your newborn baby for the first time, what's the emotion that that, that just comes out of your soul? What is it? It's one of rejoicing. And and so here, if we just put a period there, we go hallelujah, amen, let's clap and go home. In this you rejoice. And yet Peter continues and shares a a profound reality about when we're rejoicing. Here's what he says. In this you rejoice. When? When? Though now for a little while. How long is that little while? Just this week? Just this month? When Peter uses that language, what does he have in view? Three score and ten, our life. Though now for a little while. Doesn't often feel like a little while to me. And yet, Peter says, in this life, for a little while, what? If necessary. If necessary, deemed by whom? Who's deeming the challenges of my life necessary? Not me. (laughs) Not me. If I could avoid. I mean, I had had like this hangnail over here. It was killing me. If I could avoid this stuff. And yet he's going to tell us who's deeming it necessary. The God of the universe deeming these circumstances necessary. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. That there are things pressing in on your life. And and so here's the challenge for me. I don't know if this will resonate, but for me, sometimes I hear these Bible words. I hear these these ideas that I've heard over and over and over, and and I don't often have a clear definition for them. And and so I'm going to try, we're going to try and and come up with a definition of what suffering is. Because Peter says, in this you rejoice, though you've been grieved by various trials. What is that? What are those? We're going to try and make an attempt to define suffering. So we're going to start with an actual state, our current experience, whatever that might be. Here's the one I shared first service, and uh, I, I made quick to make sure it was my abs I was talking about, not my wife's abs. Someone came up after her and was going, "Oh, it made me cringe for a little bit. My abs. But it's Casey's suffering because she has to endure the zero-pack abs, though she would desire maybe something else. And so the actual state that she has to endure is my flabby zero-pack abs. We're headed to the Great Wolf Lodge in a couple weeks. Oh, man. (sighs) A dad bod coming out. Here we go. But that's just life, right? My actual state. And Casey having to endure that reality. But we think in life, there's emotional pain. I, I just think of our world right now. There was a stat that came out one in four 18 to 24 year olds are seriously contemplating suicide. Man, that hit the emotional pain that would press someone to that degree, physical pain. We're watching some of our older adults in these o- older homes, these, these care homes, and there's a distance as their body is being, being hit. feels like then becomes a combination of emotional and physical pain. The weight of life, the circumstances in our culture right now of COVID pressing on some people's lives. The actual state of the experiences. And then spiritual pain spiritually being confronted over and over by my failures and my inability to actually change to the degree that i'd like to see change transpire in my life there's my actual state but what makes that suffering why is that suffering here's how it makes sense to me that the suffering then is here's where i presently live and then on another end it's where I'd like to be. Currently, my abs aren't where I want to be. The desired state, a six-pack Casey would love. The emotional pain. In California, talk talked to a buddy of mine. His grandparents' house burned down, and there's pain. Why is that suffering? The desired state, they wouldn't want their house burned down. And there's this gap That starts to exist between where we are and where we'd want to be. What do you call that gap? Between our actual state and the present circumstances we have and the desired state of where we'd want to be? Where there's no more pain, that emotional hurt, the physical ailments? What is that? There was an elder back in California, his name was Dan Jones. And we were discussing this this distinction one day, and he said, you know, that's suffering. The gap between my actual state and my desired state is suffering. Where I am currently in the pain I'm experiencing, and where where I'd actually hope to be. And Peter says to his readers who are experiencing an actual state of suffering, what does he tell them? He says, in this you rejoice. Why? Why? How could they rejoice in the midst of pain, in the midst of that actual state? Because we believe Jesus is present with us in that time. What would would cause me to rejoice in my actual state when it's not where I want to be? What would actually cause me to rejoice? In this you rejoice. Why? Not because I'm rejoicing in the pain of my circumstance but because I'm rejoicing in a living hope and a great reward. So I'm able to rejoice in my present circumstances. And so we're gonna try and unpack some misconceptions of suffering and then the truth of suffering and then I'd love to see how this actually plays out in our lives. So back to, back to the text. If that's true of what suffering is, what are some of our misconceptions of how this thing actually plays out in our life? What a ride. How are you guys doing this morning? Jeff, you with me? Jeff's okay? So, Jeff told me this. He said, David, he said, David, maybe you should stop like pausing between your points and just keep your points going. But, man, I I just miss you guys too much in a little bit of this interaction that just needed to take a pause, a break, and then we'll get back into it. Because we talk about suffering, and then there's misconceptions of sometimes what we believe those sufferings to be. Here's, Here's what I think Peter's telling us in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary. So what are the implications of if necessary? What are sometimes the misconceptions we have of what suffering is? What it seems to me is, sometimes we view it as God's punishing me. My business isn't going as well as that I want. God must be punishing me for something. You know my 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 life my life and my relationship goals aren't happening at the degree I'd want them to. God must be punishing me. Instead, we read those words if necessary, and it actually gives us a different vantage point. That we sometimes view suffering just as a pure consequence of chance. Maybe again, vocationally, I, I didn't get the promotion or we're seeing some challenges with our kids, and they're making choices that I would not want them to make, and it's somehow this, op- this, this view of chance. Instead, if necessary, who is deeming these necessary? We believe God is actually intimately involved in the details of our lives. And then suffering is merely the outcome of bad choices. Now hear me say, that sometimes happens, right? I was having my kids crack some eggs with me the other day. We're making, we're making sunny-side-up eggs, and they crack an egg, and it spills all over the floor, and everything in me, everything in me, oh, man, that stinking cracked egg all over the floor. So sometimes, bad choices. But hear the word merely. Sometimes we just think it's merely our bad choices rather than a God who is saying, if necessary. Another misconception for me. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. The misconception sometimes is, in this you rejoice, though you've been grieved. Those two emotions can't coexist simultaneously. That suffering and joy are mutually exclusive ideas, And I'm either in one world or the other. Instead, what Peter seems to be saying is, in this you rejoice, though simultaneously you're grieved. Those emotions can coexist. Now, do they always? There's the implication part. But a misconception? They can't. Peter seems to say, these things can coexist. And suffering inevitably robs us of joy. That if I'm suffering, it must be that I'm unable. This, this log is just wet and damp, and I can't actually experience the joy that's promised. I think that's actually a misconception, that there is joy to be had. I, it hasn't happened yet, but I wonder, if, when, when Jesus takes my mother home to be, home, to be with him, There's going to be great sorrow. There's going to be great pain at the loss of of my mom. And yet my conviction is simultaneously rejoicing in the fact that she is now present with Jesus. These two conflicting emotions happening simultaneously. Suffering inevitably robs us of joy. And then I think one more. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Sometimes it feels like the misconception is this, that suffering is only, direct, is only a direct result of persecution and no other form of suffering matters. Ah, you just don't have enough faith. Suck it up. Ah, you're not dealing with something that has to do with your, your, your view of being persecuted for your faith. Peter seems to say, we've been conflicted and grieved by various trials of, of all kinds. And the range is, is pretty broad, as I'm understanding him. That suffering is perceived as only a, dir- a direct result of persecution. Instead, for you, where is that? What is that pain in that actual state right now that you're experiencing? And it's a gap. You know it's suffering. Why? Because <laughs> there's a desired state you'd prefer to be in. And yet, here's what Peter promises us. He says, in this you rejoice. Why? Because we believe Jesus is actually present with us in that moment. We're getting to the so what, the implications. Suffering exists. Those misconceptions are true. I think the truth about suffering is just seeing it back through that lens. Back through that lens of those misconceptions. Turning those around. So in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary. Right? We just talked about this. Who's deeming it necessary? That we actually believe our sufferings are a direct result of God's design. That he's actually using these, if necessary, not necessary by me. (laughs) Who's deeming them necessary? That we believe an intimate God, God, an infinite God is intimately involved in the details of our life. And then, In this you rejoice, though you've been grieved by various trials. That word grieved, somebody fact-checked, right? Does he really mean rejoice? Yes, he really means rejoice. And like how full of grieving is that? The same word used when the disciples are missing Jesus, they are overwhelmed with grief. They just thought the entire movement, the Jesus revolution had ended and they are grieved. Peter's using the same word, the weight of that grief is real. And yet, our suffering is to be experienced simultaneously with joy. That when those things hit my life, Peter is calling us to a new reality. It doesn't have to be that way of just moving through life, but rather having your heart set ablaze. Peter's calling us to that reality. And then, here's the crazy part he's going to tell us in verse 7 that our suffering is actually God's designed metric to grow and prove the genuineness of our faith. That this is a God-designed metric. He calls it a test to prove the genuineness of our faith. Here's what he says. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that for a purpose <laughs> you've been grieved by various trials why so that something actually happens what is that that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may accomplish something what is it accomplishing may it be found to the result in praise and glory and honor when At the revelation of Jesus Christ, that when you stand before Jesus and he says, Why should I let you into my heaven? Peter starts to give us that metric that is, in this you rejoice, though you're tested and grieved by trials. It's actually proving the genuineness of your faith and the way you respond to these circumstances we experience every day, Monday to Saturday, that is actually proving the genuineness of our faith. And so here's, here's how, and we're going to see these doors for the next three weeks. The Kugels did a great job designing these doors. They helped for me for the next three weeks. Not a one and done illustration, but for the next three weeks, we're going to try and pull apart the implication of what we just talked through. And we're going to see it again in verse 8 and 9, and I think we're going to see it again in verse 10 to 12. But it feels to me like we have these two doors in our life. And, and, it's, and it's the door to the thinking of what we believe to be the truth of the gospel and, and then the door to our heart and our emotions and our experience with the joy in Jesus. That we have the door to our thinking and we believe, right? We, we say, man, I, I believe that Jesus is who he said he is. I, I, David, David, there's a guy that lived this earth and, and he was more than just a prophet. If you're still wrestling with that, man, we would love to talk to you. Our conviction is this guy rose from the dead, changed everything, and we open the door to that truth. And we go, Yeah, I believe the truth of the gospel. And then we come over here and we face challenges of life. We go through our day to day, we go through work, and then, and, and this door just seems to be shut. They, David, I get it. I believe, I believe this is true. That door is open, and David, I I, I want that to be true, and with all my heart, Jesus is who he said he is. That living hope in verse 3 to 5, we believe. And yet, there's some people who hear this, find this door to be closed, and then they say, well, that stuff must not be true, and they walk away from this stuff. They go out, David, in the midst of the circumstances of my life, this this door, that that joy filled journey that you're talking about, is not my experience. So, what do we do with that? Here's, I think, Peter's implications for our life. Because he starts his letter and he's writing to these exiles that I think are feeling this distinction. That they committed her life to this Jesus guy, and yet now they've been spread out all over modern day Turkey and they're trying to figure out what do I do with this? How does suffering actually help us in our journey as exiles? Because when I come over to this door, right? I mean, man, when Aaron Rodgers bombs that 40 yard touchdown pass, what happens over here? Man, that door flies open. I'm just celebrating in the moment when the birth of my kid happens and I know the reality. Well, man, know you're like me and I'm going to change diapers for the next two years. Oh, it's going to be an exhausting process. Did you guys know we're having another baby January 7th? What a ride. But in that, there's pain for us because we open the truth and hear, man, God, we know you want what's best for us. We believe with our heart. And yet we battled through infertility and adoption for multiple years and this door seemed closed, right? But then you hold that little baby in your arms and there's emotion that accompanies that and this flies open. How does suffering actually help us in our journey as exiles in this lo- in this world? We're not tourists, right? Remember the three different categories, week one? We're not tourists just walking through this life, just enjoying the sights, but actually staying as far away as we possibly can from this place. And I'm just getting comfortable in my own little environment, but I'm also not immigrating to this world. Instead, Peter says, live as exiles, live as strangers longing for your eternal home. So how does suffering actually help us in this world? What are the implications? What's the so what? For me, it starts with this. Suffering actually helps us identify what we truly value, love, and worship. Because on some level, for many of you, my actual state of being a Minnesota Vikings fan, you don't feel any pain in that whatsoever. When I'm watching the game, there is (laughs) this door of emotional whatever is getting flown open. For you guys, you're like, "Mm, it's the Vikings, who cares? My experience with my abs Being a a no-pack, again, for many of you, you're like, David, that doesn't change my life whatsoever. But by identifying what we truly value, love, worship, where we're finding joy, we begin identifying, we begin identifying that gap, right? I say I believe in the truth of the gospel, but I'm not experiencing it as fully as I want to. I think that's the second thing that suffering helps us identify. One, we see what we love. When I'm missing it and there's pain, that tells you what I love. Second, I think we can begin appraising to what degree we value those things by appraising how much worship we find in those things. And what I love about the essence of the word worship, right, What worth am I attributing to something? So I could have told you all day long, my car doesn't matter, but then when my kids ding it with the other door, and that car paint starts to matter a whole lot more, and I begin appraising to what degree those things matter in my life. I think the same is true with suffering. If I truly believe with all my being Jesus is present with me in my actual state, and I open the door to the truth of the gospel. But over here, I'm not experiencing as much of that joy in the journey. What did I just learn in that moment? I just appraised to what degree I actually believe the truth of the gospel. And some people go, well, it's not true. I'm just going to chuck it. This door's been closed. I'm just going to get rid of this Jesus guy. Instead, here's my hope. We appraise and we keep returning back to the well that is the truth of the gospel and the living hope and the resurrection from the dead. And then third, here's what it feels like to me suffering does. It comes from a, a quote by C.S. Lewis where he says this. He says, God whispers to us in our delights, but he shouts to us in our pains. Suffering, how does suffering help us in this journey? I think God is wooing us back to himself to say, David, what really matters in this life? What are the things that really truly matter for your life, David? And he's saying, it's me. He's saying, I'm the ultimate source of joy. And he's wooing us back to himself. So here's my encouragement this week opening the door to the truth of the gospel. We believe, verse 3 to 5, and this week, maybe a little bit more fully, beginning to appraise and identify the things that, that we value. Pray with me. God, you're so good. Thank you for who you are, what you're doing in our life. We want to believe more fully the words of Peter. It doesn't have to be this way. That suffering, we understand, robs us of joy. But we want to believe it doesn't have to be that way. Instead, suffering doesn't need to steal our joy. Jesus instead provides the precious refiner that reveals our hope in you. And we want to lean into that. We want to see whatever's confronting us this week, that it is, is, you're using it to draw us back to yourself. Thank you, Jesus, for your glory, we pray. Amen.